Well, it's great to have this time together to worship the Lord in song and in prayer and in His Word. Rejoice with each other in the goodness of God. As you are turning, we'll be in both of those texts today that Andrew read in Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. God is at work in the world. And as he is at work in the world, he is revealing himself. And he reveals himself in particular ways because the greatest need that you and I have, that every human being has, is to know God, to know him. And he makes himself known through the creation through giving us a thing called conscience, through the Bible which He has preserved for us and we have the privilege of holding in our heart language so that we may read its words and hear from Him directly through His Word. And then the greatest and most perfect of all revelations, Jesus Christ who has made God clear, made Him plain to us. And then upon His ascension He left the church to continue the work of revelation of God in the world. Now, God wants us to know Him in particular ways as we use those means He has given us. He wants us to know Him accurately. He wants us to know Him personally. He wants us to know Him savingly. He wants us to know Him intimately. And He wants us to know and experience Him eternally. That's what God is doing in the world today. He's doing it through those means as every day dawns in the beauty of creation. He's doing it through those means of our consciences being pricked in knowing right and wrong. He's doing it through those means where the Bible is being proclaimed and shared and taught. He's doing it through gospel preaching of Christ being revealed, who has revealed God perfectly. And He's doing it through the activities of the church Every day. Lynn, if you'll roll ahead to the slide that says grow. Thank you. Big blue one. You're great. Thank you. As God brings people to know Him through the proclamation of the gospel, He begins growing them in His likeness. The book of Ephesians tells us that we are grown into, made into, created into the likeness of God in holiness and in righteousness. And so growing in the likeness of God should be the obvious fruit of knowing God in the life of every follower of Jesus. So here's what God's doing. He's making Himself known. People come to know Him. They are saved. They are redeemed. They are forgiven. They are born again. They become a part of the living church of God. And then they begin to grow in His likeness. And they begin to show obvious signs of His likeness through holiness and righteousness. And we covered that last week. And then God plants them somewhere. He plants them in a neighborhood. He plants a church in a community. He plants a dad in a home, a mom in a home. He plants a son or a daughter in a school situation. He plants us. 
And in that place he plants us, whether corporately as a church, on a corner like we are, or individually at your workplace and when you're shopping and living out the gospel in your school or neighborhood or wherever God calls you, and maybe globally you're planted somewhere else aside from the home you were raised in, he begins to show what he is like. Showing what God is like should be the overflow of joy from knowing God in the life of every believer. In other words, you and I should enjoy telling and showing what He is like because of the wonder of our own salvation. It should be the overflow of the joy that we have in Him that begins to spill out. Jesus put it this way, whatever fills the heart overflows from the mouth. And so we become proclaimers. Telling about him. One of the great missionary texts of the Bible is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It tells what it's like when God's people come to town. It tells what it's like when God's people are planted in a community. And they begin to live out life in that community. And they begin to share the gospel with that community. So today... We're going to look at the idea of the church who shows what God is like. And so it kind of goes this way. Lynn, walk with these slides. Go to the one that has the no to the left. One more. One more. One more. One more. One more. You are on. This is how it goes. You come to know God. Uh, I assume that many, if not most, who are here today know God in a personal, saving, intimate, and eternal way because you're a Christian. God has put His Spirit in you. You've been born again. It's been a wonderful response to God's initiative to call you to Himself. And you heard that call and you turned from your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And you came to know Him. In a personal way. And then, he began to grow you. Go ahead, Lynn. He began to make you and form you in his likeness. Holiness became a desire. Righteousness became a fruit. And all of a sudden, because of the Holy Spirit of God in you, the work of the church around you, the situations that God puts you in, fruit is born. And all of a sudden, Galatians 5, 22 and following begin to blossom in your life. And suddenly, you have love. Joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And they begin growing in you. And then God begins, go ahead, Lynn, one more slide, to show other people Himself through you. He gives you the personal responsibility for showing other human beings Exactly what he's like. And he sends you. And all of a sudden, you're a great commission Christian. You receive this calling. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you get that task. You hear Acts 1.8 that says, You shall be my Witnesses in your hometown, Jerusalem, the outskirts, Judea, 
further away lands, Samaria, and far away lands, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God has given you that job. You are His ambassador. You represent God. The reason this church is planted on this corner, the reason you are in your neighborhood, school, job, is that God has sent you. All of a sudden, you begin hearing the words of Jesus, As the Father sent me, so also I send you. And now, here you are, sent. And it is now time for you to glow and show others what God is like. Well, Paul gives us a great pattern to pull that off. He says, this is what it's like when church comes to town. So join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love this text. Then roll all the way over to the one that has the scripture on it before the picture from my Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter... How many of you found it easy to find Thessalonians? Are you Bible drillers? Y'all are awesome. I always have a trouble getting there. It's just a little bitty book. But wow, does it have something to say to us, especially in chapter 2. This is sort of a big picture of the text that we're in. I'm giving that to you because we're going to colorize this a little bit to help you locate some particular truths. Let me show you what my Bible looks like. Go ahead, Lynn. This is what my Bible looks like in that section. I've got it all colored up. It's kind of like um, the inductive Bible study method where you get all different colors and stuff because there were so many giant, big, aha truths in this text that I just began poring over it several years ago and it has become the text that drives my understanding of the life of the church in the community, the life of the individual in the neighborhood, and the life of the church in global missions. And I broke it into six parts. So we're going to break those six parts down. You know, week by week... I have the privilege of serving you. I have the privilege of leading and teaching and sharing. But I want you to know I love you. And it is such a blessing to be a part of a congregation that loves Jesus, loves each other, and loves their staff. You show us a zillion times every week. And I am so thankful for words of encouragement, uh, cards and letters and texts and emails and phone calls that simply encourage us in our ministry. And I have to tell you today, it's just one of those days where I am basking in the joy of what a great congregation you are. And I thank God for that. And I'm rejoicing. Alright, so we're jumping into this text. Mine looks like this, and I'm going to try to help you uh, draw some in your Bible or make some notes. You can go home and get your colored pencils out later. So let's start number one. The church who shows what God is like is one whose testimony is known of their gospel ministry in the community. There is a testimony that the community actually gives to the kind of behavior that the church has exhibited 
since it came to town, since it was planted, since it was formed, since it was constituted, since it was ministering in the community. And there's this testimony. So drop over one more slide, Lynn. Here's, I kind of colorized this. There's a very interesting thing happening in 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul is calling on the community to give testimony to the behavior of the church. That's simply what's happening. He's saying, guys, you know what we were like when we lived with you. You knew what we were like as neighbors, as church planners, as missionaries, as friends. You knew what we were like. And Paul, look at the number of times he calls on them in verse 1. You yourselves know. Then he says in verse 2, as you know. Then in verse 5 he says, as you know. Then he even calls God as a witness to their behavior in the community. Then he goes on and says in verse 7, we were among you. And then verse 9, you recall. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, just as you know. In other words, here's what's happening. Paul is basically saying, Ball, Pineville, you know exactly what Kingsville is like. And this can get iffy now. <laughs> because it's, Paul was able to give a very clear testimony to what they were like when they were in the community. If we call Ball and Pineville, Grant and DeVille, Alexander, if we called them to witness, could they give a gospel account of our life planted on this corner. Of your life planted in your neighborhood. Of our lives planted in our schools and work and shopping places and all of the sports things that we're involved in. Could they give a good report for our time among them? This is very important because the community is where we're planted. The neighborhood is where we spend most of our time. And we have neighbors, and we have co-workers, and we have friends that we play sports with, and we go to Ward 10 and Ward 9, and we involve ourselves in big activities where we're out there. Could we call everyone we've been in contact with into witness to the veracity and the goodness of our ministry among them. Paul's ministry as a church planner, his ministry as one who brings the church to town and plants the church and lives among the people, was so filled with integrity and gospel purity that he was not afraid to say to the community, Hey guys, come on, what were we like when we were with you? How did we act? How did we speak? How did we treat y'all? What was it like? This is a glorious picture of what's actually happening every single day. Whether we like it or not, folks are talking about us. They're talking about us when they work with us as co-workers. They're talking about us when we go to school with them, whether at the college level or all the way down to preschool. They're talking about how you drive. It's getting personal, isn't it? 
They're talking about how you act when you're treating a waitress or a waiter. Talking about how you act when you're at the shopping center. They're talking about you. Every day, they're talking about Kingsville. Or it may not be the name Kingsville, but it may be the person who is Kingsville because you are Kingsville. If you're a member of this body, born again, believer, follower of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're you're us and we're you. Now what are they saying? Because what they're saying matters. Oh, should we be, will we care what they say? Paul called the community to witness to their integrity, to their work ethic, to their purity and morality, to their behavior, their demeanor. He called on the community and said, you guys, y'all know exactly what we're like. Listen carefully. If there is a disconnect between how we present ourselves in this room and every other room we enter, our gospel witness is failing. There cannot be a disconnect between how we treat our neighbor and how we come in here and sing these songs, pray these prayers, listen to these messages. And so there has to be a connection between what the church says she is in knowing God and what the church is in showing God because we have grown in His likeness. The flavor, the taste, the savor we should leave in every person's spiritual, moral, emotional mouth is that's like Jesus. They're like Jesus. And so, Paul says, the the church is going to show what God's like, is able to call on the testimony of the gospel ministry in the community. What would the community say if they were called as witnesses about Kingsville Baptist Church? This is one of the greatest successes or failures of a church. In a community. And Paul starts out with it. The very first line in chapter 2. For you yourselves know. It's as if we say to Paul. You guys know what we're like. Pineville, you guys know what we're like. Alexander, you guys know what. Whatever it is that you're living. We say, you guys know what we're like. You, you, You know. You know how we act when we're upset. You know how we act when we're driving you out. We act when we're shopping. You know. You know how we act when we have a little dispute with our neighbor? Something's going on in our neighborhood? You know. Why? Because they watch us. God has made us a lighthouse. And somehow in working that out, you're on display. I'm on display. We're on display. Corporately and individually. What else does Paul call upon To show this church that is demonstrating what God is like. Number two, the durability of the gospel mission in the community. In other words, how do we put up with difficulty? How do we handle hardship? When really tough things come our way, what do we do? Paul uses the text here and says, well, here's what it's like. Go ahead, Lynn. 
after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. If you go back to the text in Acts 17, you'll find out that in Acts 16, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were unjustly treated. When they leave Philippi, they're still nursing wounds upon their body from the beating that they took, and they're not whining. They didn't come to Thessalonica going, we just got treated so bad. They come in going, man, we want to tell you all about Jesus. He's worthy of our suffering on His behalf. He is so wonderful. He is so glorious that it does not... What, what does Jesus say? When men speak ill of you and mistreat you, rejoice. For so they treated the prophets who were before you. Unfortunately, go ahead, Lynn. A little time on the internet with church people and you'll find out what they're like. We whine about the least difficulties. When we've got brothers and sisters who are incarcerated and losing their lives and we want to call what we're going through in the United States persecution? No. This does not need to be how we're seen in our durability. When the first disciples were beaten in the book of Acts, it says they left from the council. What were they doing? Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Where's that at today in the church? We want to call the Human Rights Commission if we have difficulty, have some little thing in our community. And unfortunately, this kind of attitude from within the church makes the community very suspicious of our faith. Durability is the hallmark of gospel missions. The book of Acts is about how the Holy Spirit made the church of God the most durable human thing that's ever existed. The harder they tried to extinguish the flame, the hotter it burned. The more difficult they made the path, the more willing the disciples were to walk it. And so... The testimony of our durability. How quickly do we give up? How quickly do we whine, cry, complain? How quickly do we cash it all in just because we met a bit of hardship on the path to the most glorious place that could ever be imagined? With the most glorious person who could ever be conceived of, we will be with Him. And so, the Apostle Paul Let's us know that hardships demonstrate value. We endured those things and we came back. Could you imagine every one of your folks who are going to Ecuador coming back with stripes on their back? How quickly the church would move to say, we don't need to do that anymore. Think about it. If I brought home that we've 19 people committed from our church to go to Ecuador, if I brought them home with stripes on their back, I believe we'd probably call a members meeting and folks would say, listen, we don't need to put anybody in danger anymore. It's not worth it. Think it through. The church was born with stripes on her back. It started with our Jesus. 
and that everyone who followed Him. And so we communicate how gloriously worthy He is by what we're willing to endure to share His worth with other people. Paul says, you saw it. We came to you. Number three, the centrality of the gospel message in the community. This was what Paul was doing. Jump over real quick to Acts 17 and look at what happens in Acts 17. It's really, it's really shocking. Acts 17. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis to Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews according to Paul's custom. He went to them for three Sabbaths, was explaining, uh, excuse me, was reasoning with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Messiah. This was his message. If we called on our community right now and went to every place, door to door, and we said, what do y'all think the message of Kingsville Baptist Church is? If we just took a poll of the entire community of Pineville and Ball, if we took a poll of your neighborhood where you live, and we said, what do you think the church is about? What's the main thing that's the main thing that's the main thing that they do all the time? What would they say? Paul said, this is it. (laughs) Go one more slide, Lynn. These are the times that in his recounting of their time there, he mentions the gospel. In Acts 17, he says, this was what we were doing. We were reasoning with and explaining to you that Jesus had to suffer for our sins. Die. Be buried. Be raised from the dead. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. He is the King of all creation. He is the Lord of everything. This Jesus is our Savior. And that was central to everything. Everything. Over and over again, he mentions it. The Gospel of God. The Gospel. The Gospel of God. The Gospel of God. The Word of God's message. The Word of God. He says, we stayed on point. This is what we were doing. We were proclaiming this message. Now, I've got an assignment for you at lunch today. I want every believer to tell your family member that you eat lunch with wherever you're going to eat today. Okay? I want you to explain the gospel to them. That's our homework today. Every one of us should be able to clearly say this is the gospel. And just share it. If we can't share it with the people that we know, that we're real comfortable with... We're going to have real difficulty when we break out of that, right? So, share the gospel with each other at lunch today. Sit down at the table and say, who's first? <laughs> now, whoever goes first, everybody else can copy. I understand that. You can, you know, you may want to cheat if you're a little iffy on your gospel presentation today. You may say, dad, or mom, or brother, or whatever, son, daughter. Yeah. But start it. Everybody share. This is the gospel. Rehearse it. Go over Recount it. It is our story! Next Sunday, we're going to have the high holiest day of all of Christendom, the resurrection of Jesus. We better be able to explain it. And so I want to encourage you at lunch today. I'm challenging you. Somebody, go first. Alright? Break the ice. It's going to be a little discomfort because you're going to kind of hem-haw around. Go ahead and say it. Share the gospel. Maybe it's a good day that your waiter or waitress get a 
a 30-second recount of what the gospel is. The Apostle Paul says it's central to the church's mission because it's central to God's mission. When we show what God is like, what we're showing is He is like the gospel. God is the gospel. The gift of God in the gospel is Himself. As a gift to all who believe, God is going to give Himself. He's going to give Himself as a good, good Father. That's what He's doing through the Gospel. Giving the gift of Himself through the work of His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is the Gospel. He is the gift of the Gospel. He is the origin of the Gospel. He is the one who has the idea of what the Gospel is. God is the initiator of the Gospel. He is the receiver of all glory of the Gospel. And He brings all of it about through Jesus Christ who is the image of God, the perfect explanation of what He is like. The Bible teaches us that the Gospel is is that men and women, boys and girls, who were created in the image of God, have rebelled against their Creator by disobeying Him because of their sinful hearts. And they are in need of a restoration of a broken relationship. Sin has separated us from God and placed upon us His wrath and we deserve hell itself. But God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us sent His own Son in human flesh who lived perfectly, sinlessly, His motives were all pristine, never erring in His thought or deed. Jesus Christ lived out exactly how each of us should have lived, but the Bible says He also rendered Himself as an offering for sin. On the cross He became. You know, does anybody really know what you're like? Have you ever wondered who really knows the real you? Who really identifies with who you are and what you've done? You know that if it was broadcast in national TV, you would be ashamed if everything you've ever thought or every motive that you've ever had was revealed. You would want to crawl under a rock. But Jesus doesn't just know from afar. Listen carefully. He actually became you on the cross. That's how well He knows you. On the cross, He was you. He was everything you've ever been. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Gospel is that after living that perfect and sinless life, He became sin. He identified with us by taking upon Him all of our sin and dying in our place as a substitute And the Bible says that he was placed into a tomb and for three days he was there until God, in fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, 
raised him from the dead. Demonstrating that death could not hold him or conquer him because he is life itself and because his offering was a sufficient payment, God raised him from the dead and everyone who believes in him will receive eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. They will be able to, through the new birth, know him and experience him. And the Bible says that after Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection, he was ascended and he sits at the right hand of God and he is busy doing gospel work right now because he's praying for you right now. That's his ministry. Savior and mediator, tell each other the gospel and make sure it stays central to our ministry. Number four, Paul calls upon the integrity of the gospel method in the community. He is going to call to their attention how they behaved. Look in the next text that Lynn will bring up here. He says, we came to you. Listen, I know we have a beautiful church and we are blessed with wonderful facilities, but we didn't build them for a come here ministry. We built them for a go there ministry. This is not the place that we're trying to say to the community, well, if y'all want anything to do with us, y'all just know where we're at. No, this is the sending station where we go out every Sunday, back out into our community, every Wednesday, back out into our community, and we go to them. Our coming to you, Paul says, and it's in boldness that we speak and in exhortation and that we're pleased. Look at verse 7. We were well pleased to impart to you. Excuse me. Verse 8. Not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. The integrity of the ministry. Listen. Look at the... Down here at the bottom it says, How our own labor and hardship, working night and day, verse 9, not to be a burden to any of you. When employers want to hire people, do you know where they ought to be coming and looking? Right here. They ought to know that the best employees, the most honest, the most integrity-filled, the hardest working people that they'll ever hire come right out of a church like this. Followers of Jesus, hard laborers, working in the community, pouring out themselves into the community. Not in the community as takers, but in the community as givers. That leads us to number five. The purity of the gospel motive in the community. Why do we do what we do? Are we simply trying to build a big church with lots of numbers and big budget? Sometimes when we talk, that's what it sounds like. When people begin to see that what we think of them is you're a project for the church. They don't, they don't like that. You're just another number so we can get more people in, so we can raise more money, so we can do more things. They don't like that. We have to value every human being as a person made in the image of God. No matter what their background is, no matter what they've been through, no matter what their sin type is, we have to value every single one of them the same. The integrity and purity of our ministry is what is the motive for why we're going. Do we, listen carefully, do we care that our neighbors are going to hell? And that they might enter there quickly. 
Do we care that our family members who are lost are headed for hell and they have no promise of an amount of time in which they have to get things right with God? Do we care to rescue the perishing, care for the dying because Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save? Do we feel what Jesus felt when He looked at Jerusalem and wept and said, How often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus was heartbroken for the lostness of the community He lived in. Are we? Is there purity in our gospel motive? Look in the text that comes with that in the next slide. Go ahead, Lynn. It says, we didn't come from error or by way of deceit. We didn't come as pleasing men or with flattering speech or with a pretext for greed. And we didn't seek glory from men, from you or from others. In other words, they weren't after the approval of people and human things. They were after the approval of God and the souls of men. There's a war going on in this community for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. There's a war! And there is only one cure. It is not education. It is not politics. It is not who's the president and who's the governor. It's not all of those things. It is the gospel. And they are perishing. Finally, something comes to play at the end here that's really challenging. Go ahead, Liam. The authenticity of the gospel messengers. Paul is going to call up some illustrations in a minute about us and about our authenticity, what we're like in relation to other people. And he uses two particular images that call upon us to reflect on how God fulfills those images in His created order and how He relates to us. And these two images that he uses are images that are very endearing to the community. Let me share those with you. Numbers, uh, it's verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Think that through for a moment. The relationship of the church to the community was like a nursing mom. Now those of you ladies who've nursed babies know what I'm going to talk about here. Husbands, you've probably watched it if your wives uh, were, were nursing the children. But in order for a mom to nurse a baby, there has to be a lot of contact. Close contact. And there is an outpouring of one person's life into the other person's life. All of the calories for that baby's survival originate in the mom. And as that baby nurses, life is imparted from the living being to the living being. And as Paul called this illustration up, he said, this is what we were doing when we lived with you. We poured our lives into you. 
We pulled you close. We became very vulnerable. And we poured ourselves into you that the life of Christ that is in us may enter into you by your contact with us. Paul calls up the most intimate picture here. And it's a glorious picture of how the church should relate to the community. The love of a mother is a kind of God love. It was ordained, invented, designed, created by God as a reflection of His goodness to us. And here, He says, community, I'm calling you as a witness. We poured out our, we poured our lives out. We were vulnerable and intimate and close and exposed. We were there for you. Notice he says, having thus a fond affection for you, you were very dear to us. He's picturing the mother's love for the child. If the community knows that we have this kind of love, their ears will perk up. And they'll say, what's up with those people? They really pour themselves out into the community to bring this message they have. They're like a loving mom who nurses the babies. Wow! What a picture of the church. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives another picture. Look in the blue there at the bottom in verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and pouring each one of you, as a father would, his own children. He calls up the other intimate illustration of God's love. Father to children. Good, good father. All of a sudden, he's saying, you know what it was like? We were like parents to the community. We were like a mom in her tender, outpouring love. We were like a dad in his exhorting and encouraging, cheering on kind of love. That's what the community saw in us. It was the authenticity of the messengers. This week, one of our church members had a conversation with a young person. That young person had seen a presentation of the gospel. Was having a conversation with our church member and said, Well, it was a neat presentation, but I don't believe that stuff. I uh, I met a neighbor down the street from my house who's into an Asian religion, and they've got an altar at their house. And the strange thing is, is they live out their faith in how they treat other people and how they act and how they carry themselves. And I was drawn to that religion because of the authenticity of that Asian man who lives in my neighborhood. Our church member said, so what you're saying to me is your parents weren't living authentically what they said they believed. And the child said, exactly. And because the gospel was not authentic in the home, the person walked right out their door and right down the street to a foreign religion. And when I say foreign, not to the U.S., foreign to God. And engage themselves in the worship of those deities. Because these people who said they believed didn't act like it. The authenticity of our testimony in this community will make or break our future. 
It doesn't matter how much money God gives us or how many people God gives us to gather on a Sunday. If we are not authentic the rest of the time, it will be like a cancer and decay and it will finally, from within, destroy our church. The authenticity of the gospel ministry is that we're different. We're like God now. We're motherly like Him in pouring out. When did God most motherly us? When He poured Himself out in Jesus. He was the most vulnerable then. When was He fatherly? When He loved us in Jesus enough to send His Son and encourage us to come to Him so that we might be saved. We're simply reflecting these loves of God in our community. Vulnerable and pouring out, encouraging and exhorting. Now wonder that this experience of this one young person if that experience may be multiplying itself out. I believe we need to come to God today and say, I want to be authentically like you. I want to share with you one last slide. After Adoniram Judson had spent all the time that he spent in the Burmese prison, shackled, to the wall, hands and feet. Upon his release, rather than packing his bags and licking his wounds and going home, he went straight back to the ruler. And he appealed to the Burmese ruler and he said, I want to go back to the people. And here was the reply. My people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say. But I fear that they may be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. His scars testified His love for God and God's love for people. Just as Jesus' scars testify God's love for you and God's love for people. And we have the opportunity at Kingsville Baptist Church to know Him, to grow in His likeness, and to show Him to our community. But we must be determined to see this through. Would you bow with me? For some of you, such a challenge and a charge is impossible because you have not yet come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're here as a participant or a spectator, but there's no personal relationship between you and God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this gospel that I shared with you a few minutes ago is the gospel I proclaimed to you. Jesus had to suffer for your sins in order to make the way open for you to come to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is inviting you personally to know God and come to Him into a relationship where He forgives you of your sin, gives you life eternal. Hope, joy, satisfies your longings and prepares you to grow in His likeness that you may show His love to others and then spend eternity with Him. Would you come to Him today? You're here and, and you know I'm talking to you. It's, it's not a secret. Your heart's wrestling right now, racing. 
you're feeling that, oh man, I need to get out of here. Yet God is encouraging you through this message, through His Spirit, through this church to turn from your sin and come to Jesus. Would you call upon Him right now to save you? You can pray with me to do that. Pray with me now. God in heaven, I know that I am sinful. And I know that I'm separated from you because of it. I deserve your punishment, your wrath. In fact, I deserve hell. I'm deeply grieved by this. And I've heard this message today of what Jesus has done. And so I turn. I turn away from my own way. And I turn to Jesus. I believe what has been proclaimed about Him. He's your Son. He's sinless. He's a sacrifice. He's the Savior. And now He sits, having been raised from the dead, at your right hand, praying for me even now. Save me. I believe. Oh, listen. If you prayed that today from the earnestness of your heart with true faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sin, He saves you. The Bible promises all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believer, you're sitting here today and we just talked about a kind of Christianity that has challenged you because you've not been doing it. The idea of this kind of life inside the Christian community going out into the unchristian community has not been a part of what you've been doing. Your neighbors are confused with mixed signals. Your family is confused with mixed signals. Your schoolmates are confused with mixed signals. Part of a gospel life, part of a world life, part of a godly life, part of a just open sin life. And they're confused. Would you clarify the message today by repenting of whatever is holding you back from showing God to your community? As God leads you, as He stirs you, would you stand? Would you come?